0: You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 27. This is a bonus episode. We're going to be talking about the formation of a new national park. And um, last episode, we talked with uh, Dallas, who has joined us again, um, about the national park's uh, Conservation Association, and they gave us a really great overview on um, public lands in general, why they're important, how they came about. And so today we're actually going to talk about the formation of a new uh, park within the system. So I am joined by, like I said, Dallas uh, of the National Parks Conservation Association, and also Daniel Hernandez with uh, Frontera Public Relations, and um, we're going to talk about the Blackwell School in Marfa, Texas. So this is a historic site um, that was primarily open to serve Hispanic students in that community. Uh, unfortunately, this was during the time of segregation, so um, this school was you know, made just for that group. Um, it was funded in 1909, and it, op- it was open all the way until 1965 when the schools were integrated. and um, It stayed vacant until 2006 when the Blackwell School Alliance formed to preserve the building. So I'm going to let Daniel kind of talk more about uh, the school itself and I guess why, you know, why you guys decided to try to make this um, part of the National Park Service.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer, thanks so much for for having us on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, The Blackwell School in Marfa really for a very long time has been a fixture of the community, both in terms of, I think, what it stands for for the Mexican-American and Latino community in Marfa. And at the same time, I think, now that we are talking, uh, especially in the current kind of state of political and, and race relations in America, um, really stands to become uh, an integral part of telling the story of segregation and of oppression and how we can learn from that and, and move forward from that in a way that's gonna be um, positive for our communities. So as you mentioned in uh, in the early and, and mid 1900s, the Blackwell School was um, not a, a officially uh, segregated school through the law, but through de facto segregation was a school where Mexican-American students were required to attend a school for elementary school in Marfa. Um, That did, of course, come to an end when uh, school segregation was realized in Marfa in 1965. But for many, many years, that school for many, many schoolchildren was their place of learning. And it was, for them, uh, a place that a lot of them have actually fond memories of. And of course, there are some memories that are maybe not so fond, um, just given the circumstances of, of the time in terms of why the project is wanting to move forward um, in 2006 the blackwell school alliance was formed kind of as a way to rejuvenate the organization and help kind of bring to light the story and and the issues um, that a lot of the students faced and many of whom are still living today Um, but as you know they are getting older and i I've been working now with uh, the executive director of the Blackwell School Alliance, um, Gretel Enk, and she has been wonderfully instrumental in pushing forward the narrative and the idea of being able to preserve the Blackwell School because it is a really unique Fixture of history um, in Marfa, and I think could really serve a great purpose, uh, not only for the local community, but as a learning tool and and a place um, to kind of elevate these voices for, for our state and for our nation. So um, the process has, has slowly moved forward. It uh, has become a uh, Texas uh, historical site and has also been placed on the National Register of Historic Places. And so it just kind of seemed fitting that the next step in the process was going to be to uh, make it a national historic site. And, um, you know, I I and Gretel, as well as everybody else at the Black School Alliance, are really happy to be working with um, Dallas and the folks over at NPCA to hopefully bring that dream uh, through to fruition.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, that this is, it is very timely, this discussion, I think, um, unfortunately our country has a long history of segregation and just outright you know racism and um, while i know the school was very impactful and important to the folks that went there it was founded you know based on these these beliefs um and and i was reading um there's there's a great texas monthly article about the school and they said that the the students couldn't even speak spanish um they had to speak english so they were that was kind of stripped away from them um, and then there were just a lot of, like you said, it, stories about the, you know, just things that they made did to the students or made them do um, that, that weren't very, you know, ethical or nice, um, to say the least. So um, it, it is important that we remember those, those things and honor them and hopefully keep future generations from repeating them. Um, and... I have to say, I have been to MARFA three times, and I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know about the Blackwell School. Um, I love MARFA, I love West Texas, so uh, the next time I go, I'm definitely going to look that up and try to try to swing by, um, because it is open to the public, correct?
0: Yeah so generally on uh, generally on weekends Gretel tries to have it staffed for at least a few hours both on Saturday and on Sunday um and and it just is a really wonderful place to go and learn about the history of uh de facto segregation in the state of Texas and and how um, those children who were, you know, a lot of times very impoverished and, and very underserved, um, but at the same time still deserve to get an education as was required by the Constitution of the state of Texas. Um, I actually spoke with a former student today. Uh, Gretel had sent out a newsletter uh, earlier this week that she shared with me and, you know, asked for folks that had stories that they would like to share about the Blackwell School to call me. And this woman called me and uh, the first call, she called me and she took a few moments to give me her name and tell me that she was a former Blackwell student. And then she broke down in tears. And I felt really bad because I thought, oh no, maybe she's upset that we're doing this or um, you know, thought we we had stirred up some emotions. And so she said, give me a few minutes. Let Let me regain my composure and call you back. And then she called me back and she talked to me about how grateful she was that this project was taking place because for her, the Blackwell School really holds such a special place in her heart, not only as a place where she received an education, but a place that really served as a foundation for um, the the education for Hispanic and Latin American schoolchildren in MARFA. And so for us to be moving forward with this project uh, in in that kind of respect, I think it's just so important. Um, And and as you say, uh, maybe it could use a little bit more elevating in terms of being able to bring people to it. And I think that's exactly what this project is aiming to do.
2: Absolutely. yeah
1: um, that that's a that's a very powerful story and, and I know that hearing you, you probably hear a lot of stories like that so um, I think it's awesome that you guys are, are giving people a voice in a way to kind of share their experiences um, especially as you know like you said they're getting older and um, we want to make sure that we we honor those those stories and keep them for future generations so just um, so Dallas Tell us about how NPCA got involved in this project, how it kind of came on your radar.
2: Absolutely. Well, we are fortunate that the majority of West Texas, really a quarter of the state, is in the congressional district of Mr. Will Hurd, who has half of the 16 national park sites of Texas in his district. And we have been great friends with their office and their colleagues on the ground, and so really showing him what parks mean to the local communities and how they benefit the local communities um, in real tangible dollars, as well as the stories and the commemorative aspects and the restorative aspects that we might so often think of. And so he actually met um, Gretel, head of the Buckle School Alliance at a coffee shop. she She took the opportunity to educate her congressman about, a wonderful treasure of Marfa that is lesser known. And so he connected us and said, you know, if we really want to get this site protected, want to elevate it from state level protections to federal, then that course would be through the national park system. And as we know, we've got our big NPs, our big national parks like Big Bend and Guadalupe Mountains. But there are 419 national park sites in our country, and two thirds are cultural and historical. And as you move through a process, you have to be a Texas Historic Landmark first, and then you would complete a a variety of um, resource studies, gathering documentation, working with the State Historical Commission so that you can be placed on the National Register for Historic Places. And so once you're kind of in that federal system, then the Park Service would ideally get direction from Congress to conduct a special resource study which talks to the suitability, feasibility, and sustainability of that site coming into the Department of Interior's system. And then from there, usually it takes a couple of years if you're lucky for that special resource study. Um, And of course, there's an entire appropriations process that we get um, to go through every year and we're doing so right now. Um, And then it could be added to the system as whether it's a historic site, historical park, national seashore you know or even using the antiquities act to become a national monument but one thing i just find so poignant is this is a cultural landscape park so that's looking at yes the structure but it's also the stories and how the people who use the site correlated to the city and the systems around it so everything from the rail line to the city block system, to the food, to the heritage, to the gatherings. It's not just a building. It's what everything that happened in and around that roofline and in and around that schoolyard. And you know, we're talking about how poignant the story is in today's national conversation. And at National Parks Conservation Association just this week we had a conversation on Confederate monuments and what those mean in the terms of the park service. You know, we have so many battlefields, um, including here in Texas, that are part of the system. And where does interpretation versus maybe honoring the wrongs of our past? Where is that line? Um, Because, as you say, if we don't acknowledge our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And you all know I'm a history political geek. And last night I was watching. um, I started the West Wing over for the 13th time. And (laughs) in in as one does in quarantine. (laughs) Exactly. And we're in the first season and they're interviewing a gentleman who's going to be the government's um, director of civil rights. And they've called him in because some of his words they feel might um, feel offensive to people of a different line of thought. And he said, you know, do you have a dollar bill in your pocket? Take it out and turn it over. So Josh Lyman turns it over and he said, see the pyramid? It's broken. It hasn't been filled in yet because America is still growing. We still have work to do. And I thought that is so perfect because. Parts of our past, we have the opportunity to look back and use today's lens, which is good so that we don't repeat mistakes, but we also have to. Take time to reflect on what the society and the norms and the changes were with each generation, which as Daniel spoke about. There's alumni at the site who it was an honor for their family to have a formal education setting and um, set aside by their workers. So it was essentially, you know, a worker's benefit. And they um, have gotten shoes or clothing that were hand-me-downs just as my children get hand-me-downs. And then you go through the 50s and 60s and start seeing um, civil change with um, with President Kennedy and President Johnson. And so then you will see the memories of those alumni, that their representation of how they experienced the school, you know, was the norm of what we were experiencing across the country. And so if you look at, we have our history, but we also have this great opportunity And a lot of it through technology, that we can be sharing messages with each other, that that's how we fill in that space in the pyramid. And and knowing it will never be filled in because we always will be learning and growing. And to me, that's the perfect spot for national parks to serve a role. And I'm getting goosebumps of the American people because we are always learning and growing. And there's always going to be so many critical stories to keep uncovering and that we will keep uncovering hopefully hundreds of years from now.
1: Yeah, what a great point. If we if we were to run out of stories or, or stop growing, then that's when we need to be worried,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I think. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, the number of cultural sites in the national park system, because I think um, that's a lot of times people don't even think about that, right? They just think national parks, you know, literally a park, or lake right. or, you know, a lot of trails or the Grand Canyon or whatever, but you said two-thirds of the system are actually cultural sites, um, yes. which is pretty amazing because, like you said, there's just so many stories to tell, and we were talking with Alan in the last show about how many more are out there and how, you know, it's just never-ending. You, you, it, it's great job security. <laughs> right (laughs) um and and i'm also uh glad you brought up will hurt because i I know he was uh featured in the documentary the river and the wall and he was Mm -hmm. i could tell just from the you know the brief part that he was in that that he was a big supporter of the national parks and and nature in general so um it seems like you got a really good ally there and he was able to kind of help start the
2: process um and get get everything connected yeah, no, he's really um, been a great champion, and as you know, there's also um, Air Force bases in his district that are also co-located, both in San Antonio and Del Rio, where we have national park sites in Texas, and so helping us also showcase the respite qualities and the family reconnecting opportunities that national parks can afford to veterans. Um, I mean, there's just our rich culture of West Texas has so much to offer, and. I hope folks will, when it's safe, venture out and really explore the hidden treasures Mm -hmm. and not just the most popular treasures of Big Ben, but, you know, in Marfa, we know Marfa Lights, we know Marfa Prada, but the Blackwell School, (laughs) the amount of regalia that Daniel and Gretel have amassed and curated, those stories are incredible and you won't see them anywhere else. See, selfishly, I want to say, don't put Marfa on the map.
1: It's it's a hidden right. gem. I don't want anyone to go there because I love going and it, that's the, the charm of it, right? It's like a small town, big town kind of thing. But I do want people to experience all the great things Marfa has to offer and, and the Blackwell School, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we've talked about, you know, the school and the process. So, uh, Daniel, how did your organization get involved in you know what are you, what are you all doing um, to, to move the process forward
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am actually a, a, a native Marfin, and I currently live in El Paso. Um, for my full-time job, I work for uh, State Senator Jose Rodriguez and handle legislative and media relations for him. Um, but I, you know, I feel like I kind of have a, a knack for getting people connected and um, just trying to kind of collaborate and brainstorm about different ideas um, and, and things that come up in the community. And so I started a, a really small consulting firm. Uh, I've done a couple of political campaigns and some, some, uh, you know, just um, kind of contract work here and there um, but then Greta reached out one day I guess I, I think after she had visited with the NPCA folks a little bit and said hey I have this really great project that that we're working on and I she said I think you would be great just because of your ties to Marfa and the knowledge you have of the Blackwell School in the community and and the ties and so for me it just seemed like such a perfect fit to be able to give back to the community that gave so much to me growing up um, and at the same time be able to you know hopefully see a project through to fruition that that is going to really elevate the story of um, Marfa, and and kind of kind of like Dallas said, not just the Prada Marfa and the art, and um, you know a lot of the things that Marfa has come to be known for, but at the same time, a lot of the struggles that a lot of the families um, that Marfa, who's, who's Back, they were, the, the town was built on as well. Um, I think it's just so important that we are able to memorialize and, and honor that legacy um, that I think continues to move forward today. And so through my work um, with, with Frontera Public Relations, I've had a great opportunity to work with um, folks at the NPCA uh, like Dallas and Kyle um, and, and some other folks, and uh, at the same time work with Gretel at the Blackwell School in really trying to figure out um, ways that we are going to be able to message this project and get community input and talk to former students and and other community stakeholders that we have. Um, Because I think really the the biggest thing that is going to drive this project forward and make it be successful is by hearing from the folks who have direct connections to that school. Uh, I personally have uh, older family members who attended the Blackwell School. Um, I volunteered there a really long time ago when the Blackwell School Alliance had just kind of started actually, and one of the tasks that I had was helping organize photos. And I picked up a photo once and I thought, this really looks a lot like my Aunt Teresa. And I looked at the photo, and it was actually my great, my, I'm sorry, my grandmother, um, Azucena Fuentes, who had attended the school back in the 50s. And so for me, it was really a poignant moment for me to come, and this was, you know, this was probably 10 plus years ago, but for me to come to that realization, um, you know, that there was family history for me personally at this site, as well as for so many others who live in the community and beyond. Um, you know, I think about the woman that called me earlier today and she lives in El Paso and she she actually lives really close to where I live. Um, and so when she heard that I lived in El Paso, she was elated and she said, Oh my gosh, you're from Marfa and you live in El Paso too. And there was this kind of like instant connection um, because we had that common ground of knowing about Blackwell and she attended and I had family members who attended and you know we spent a couple of minutes on the phone. She asked me about who my family members were and who my family was and and just kind of my upbringing in marfa um and i think the more that we're able to make those real connections between um you know folks who are like in my generation for example and the older folks who have had those experiences and the stories that they have from the folks who are even older than them um, i really think being able to to you know, come at this project from that angle is going to be the best way to, to kind of move forward from that. So I'm really excited for, for our organization to be involved, um, and, and I'm so happy to be working with uh, the likes of the NPCA and, and Gretel over at the Blackwell School. It's just, it's been a pleasure so far. Um, our plans have been a little bit derailed. We had a, a community charrette that we were working on, uh, and then coronavirus happened, and so we've kind of had to change our game plan a little bit, but uh, we're working on uh, putting together some video projects and and some other um, tangible items that i think are really going to help move the project forward and uh you know again really hope to see this through to the end
1: that is so cool that this is your hometown and you're helping to do something that will have a national impact and it's personal for you you know your family went there and and you know people you know that have have gone there so so that's that's a really neat um twist to it. And I love that you guys call yourself Marfins, too.
0: Yes. <laughs> monitor, yes.
1: That's awesome. Um, yeah. Were you going to say something else?
0: No, like, no, I, I, okay. no, I'm good.
1: Um, so on that note, uh, let's say, you know, someone in another community has a really neat cultural site or just a historic story that they think is important that needs to be told. Um, what do they need to do? How do they get the process started, I guess, if if they want, you know, if they think this is a really good candidate for a state park, or I'm sorry, a national park or um, a historic site, you know, or something like that?
2: Usually um, your city or your county uh, might have a state historical or preservation office. And so it's good to really bring together a community steering committee. Um, One, you want to make sure that your, view isn't the only view that's included. Um, It's really important that there is the community want so that you can have your local decision makers that are backing you because you're going to want to get letters of support. And that if this were to move through to a historic site, obviously it would take it um, off the tax rolls at some point. Um, So you really want to do it from a groundswell. So gather folks in the community, gather decision makers, and then work with the Texas Historical Commission um, to see what kind of documentation they can help you gather, what their requirements are. They've got big checklists, great staff. And one thing you can always do is go to the Texas Historical Commission website, look up other sites, see what's on there, you know, try to find the category, what fits, look at their application. You know, it's almost like doing a book report or doing a research paper. Um, to see what's required and see if you have a building that is still reflecting the true materials. We have some instances, and you can see them like at the San Antonio Missions, um, where in the 80s they came in to fix some of the masonry. Well, the way they fixed it were with materials of the the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they were approved at the time, but they weren't historically accurate. And so then in removing those in, the, you know, 20 years later, you do some damage, you know, because they're they're p- applying concrete to plaster fresco scenes. So there's a lot of um, cost that goes into that recovery. Or if you look at um, Blackwell, there was a third room added to the two room school building over time. But it was done in a way that it didn't damage the original structure. So it was still maintaining integrity and the site was not in a state of disrepair or, you know, loaded with toxic chemicals where you couldn't allow people. So, you know, there's kind of an inventory of your community and an inventory of your site or your collection of materials to really deem it's not worthiness of the history, but worthiness of it needing to be maintained by a government entity. Now,
1: is that process the same outside of Texas? Since we may have listeners listening in other states, do you Mm -hmm. know if they have to go to their state's historical commission or?
2: I believe they do in order to get on the national register. Um, It might have a state preservation office title or something slightly tweaked, but um, there's going to be a similar entity that they need to, you know, start. it's just starting at the local level and working your way up. And honestly, when you do that, then you are creating and it'll be, you know, it could be a 10, 20, 30 year process like it was for the World Heritage designation in San Antonio. But you are creating more and more advocates who are more and more um, connected with the site, invested with it personally. And it's that kind of passion and advocacy that lawmakers need to see to know it is worth their attention and their funding.
1: Yeah, because if you go to Congress and say you should make this a national park mm-hmm. and the people living near it don't even support it, they're going to be like, well, why would anyone yeah, else they won't. To see it?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, and in having that community support um, specific to Blackwell, this would only be the second Latino site in the national park system. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. The Cesar Chavez National Monument in California speaks directly to the um, grape workers strike but not to a broader cultural story. And there was a Latino theme study put forth by the National Park Service speaking to this void um, and very predominant um, cultural aspect of our country, especially, you know, in our southern states and our western states. So having that community support, then someone can see themselves and see their story in the national park. And you're going to attract more people who then feel parks are accessible to them. Right. And it's going to draw those people out. And those people one day are going to be lawmakers and decision makers. So it's really a cycle um, that all comes from the community and from the people.
1: Yeah. What, Daniel, what is the um, response been from the community outside of, you know, the, the prior students of the school, just just the general community? You said you guys have started engaging them. So, so what is that response been?
0: Yeah, we've had an opportunity to work with a lot of community stakeholders, and that's everybody ranging from former students um, all the way up through the city council and uh, the county judge's office and commissioner's court in Presidio County. And they have all been so wonderfully supportive of this project and really see the value in elevating the story of the Blackwell School and see, uh, you know, kind of like Dallas talked about what it's going to do on a dollar basis for the community that already kind of thrives on this tourism economy, but at the same time also see the historical significance and you know, just juxtaposed with, again, the current kind of race relations and, and, you know, kind of the civil um, rights movements we're continuing to see in America. Uh, You know, it just seems like it's the right time for this project Mm -hmm. to come through. Uh, You know, I think you know, there are probably folks that have different views about the Blackwell School. I know there are former students there who um, maybe would prefer for it not to be uh, a National Historic Site or a historic park, just because I think a lot of the memories that some folks have there are very traumatic and they're very difficult. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people, I think, deal with their trauma in different ways. And one of those ways is just to kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, But I think even those folks, you know, really see, the value of the story that is there to be told from the Blackwell School in not only the physical structure, uh, but as Dallas mentioned earlier, some of the items that have been curated throughout the last uh, you know, couple of decades. Uh, I mean, we're talking about band uniforms from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and cheerleading uniforms and photos from basketball teams and yearbooks and um, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. There is a, um, a paddle, as you know, they used to paddle a lot back then and they have one of the principal's old paddles as well, I mean, there's just there's so much history uh, to be told, and you know, I think aside from you know the the fact that at one time it, you know race relations were were really difficult in terms of the school and what it meant for the community, um, but I think now kind of looking at it through today's lens and being able to look back on it and use this facility and the story that is within it to learn about our history repeat it and at the same time be able to um, perpetuate and and honor those stories is just so important
1: yeah and I I'm glad to hear that even the folks who didn't directly go to the school or who weren't you know really associated with it are still supportive and they see the value in that Um, and you mentioned a couple times you know the economic impact that these parks can have and I think that's an important um, argument when you're making, you know, a case for, for having any any big tourist, uh, you know, attraction in a community. Unfortunately, sometimes that's the thing that, you know, lawmakers and leaders want to hear about, not, oh, well, it's the right thing to do or whatever. So do you, um, is it is it, I guess, standard practice to do some kind of economic impact analysis or, you know, a formal study um, kind of showing that when you're trying to start a park like this?
2: I would say for a smaller site, it's not obviously. When we did the um, you perceived the UN designation for the San Antonio missions, that required a really in depth study um, because it covered so many aspects for why it had universal uh, value. But we do know at National Parks Conservation Association that for every dollar of federal budget that is appropriated to a site, you see four dollars returned to a local economy, and When you want to talk about garnering more champions, whatever someone's entry point is into National Parks or public lands, you know, let's let's help them find that entry point so that they are a champion. And when you look at the Hotel and Motel Association, Chambers of Commerce, Convention and Visitors Bureaus, if you want them on board and frankly, they can make the systems easier for you and they can make it more robust. So your site is really a great anchor tenant um, driving people. Town and visit it more often and for more reasons. So, and again, the timing, good and bad, having the coronavirus, we've got restaurants and hotels that at best have seen a 76% downshift in their economy. If they were even able to stay open, if they had to shutter a second time, we don't know that they will. But if you have folks who, when they can safely get back out, I don't think any of us are going to be jumping on an airplane. Anytime soon, but we might get in our car, and as Texans and as um, folks in a lot of other states, we might drive somewhere. Where can we drive in a day? Where can we drive, you know, one overnight? And you can find small towns like Marfa. And well, that's more like half a day, but in Texas, (laughs) Texas, I mean, we're halfway in El Paso, we're halfway to LA, where you and I are. (laughs) Uh, So it's relative, right? But if if we can find something that can be the driver to help turn around these small businesses of, um, these visitor shops, convenience stores, um, restaurants, hotels, if we can use our public lands to get people safely reintegrated into the economy. I mean, I think that's a great. Champions on both sides of the aisle.
1: Yeah. And I can attest, um, from working at a chamber of commerce, that, that the best way to get through to organizations like that is definitely show the economics of it, you know, show how this will help the local economy and the local citizens and things like that. Um, and in a, in a town like Marfa, where it's very, you know, heavily reliant on the tourists um, that come through, I can see this, you know, being a big argument for that. So, um, okay. So, what else can you tell us, I guess, about uh, the site or you know, the process in general that we haven't discussed already? Is there anything we, we missed or? Um,
0: I guess one of the things that I would like to talk about, it's just kind of the the general evolution of the site. You know, it sat, it sat vacant and dormant for a really long time before um, the folks in 2006 decided to kind of undertake this project of, of starting to rehab it. Um, and since then, it has really served as just such a wonderful uh, community gathering space. And then Uh, you know, they would have um, like their annual school reunion. And so folks would come in from out of town and get reconnected with old classmates. And, uh, you know, even if it's people from opposite of town, I mean, sometimes you don't see people for a little while, and so it's really nice for those folks to be able to have a space to get together and and reminisce and, and talk about what the school meant for them and how it played a role in um, their upbringing, uh, you know, in, in really one of the one of the poorest co- uh, counties in the United States, um, and so I, you know, I'm just so. Overwhelmed with with happiness and and at the same time excitement to see this project moving forward um, through NPCA and and hopefully through Congress and and eventually onto becoming a national historic site. Um, I, you know, I think as you as you mentioned before, a lot of times these stories really do need that uplifting um, in order to become more visible for people. And you know, I think just based on you know, where we are today in America, I, I think it's just the right time for that to happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. Dallas, anything to add? Or I think I'm going to leave it right on that note. <laughs> awesome. Um, I am actually looking up right now where the school is located in town, and I am, um, again, embarrassed to say I've stayed at the Thunderbird, which is like a few blocks from there, and gone to Planet Marfa, which is right up the road. So <laughs> I'm definitely going to gonna check this site out the next time I'm in town. Hopefully, you know, everything's opened up pretty soon. We're still in the middle of COVID um, for those listening. But um, where would you suggest folks go to find more information out about the school and, and how can they help or get involved if they're interested?
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend that they go to the um, Blackwell School Alliance website. It you know, through through Gretel and her work has really served as kind of a repository of the many projects that have been undertaken um, under under the previous um, directors leadership and under hers. Um, And you really get to see a lot of the things that have happened um, to the school kind of where it started from its beginnings and then as they move through the rehabilitation process, um, some of the things that they have been able to push forward. Definitely recommend they check out that website and um, we will start posting some of our videos and, uh, you know, other things that we are able to gather in terms of the, the project um, and, you know, really hoping to, to kind of start amplifying these stories really soon. Um, and then we, through the wonderful part uh, folks over at the NPCA, will um, then be able to present that to our, um, our, our Congress folks and uh, hopefully, you know, have an opportunity to, to see this through all the way to, through the end of the process.
1: Awesome, and that's uh, blackwellschool.org
0: I believe so I have to yeah I'd have to double check but I okay. didn't know it sounds right.
1: Do you know if they're on social media um, so folks there can is follow?
0: a yeah yeah there is a, um, a, a, a Facebook page that uh, Gretel upkeeps, and so they can also find updates on there on uh, on various things yeah and it's uh, blackwellschool.org
1: okay and I'm guessing this is a nonprofit so donations are welcome and all that good stuff.
0: yeah absolutely.
1: Awesome. And if you happen to be in the Marfa area, volunteer.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: And I will say um, if folks go on to mpca.org and sign up to get our email alerts, um, this fall as Daniel and I are pushing out some messages and action alerts to folks, then they can know where it is in the process and how specific um, actions they can get involved, either through phone calls or emails or social media tagging. And um, if anybody's planning to go to Fort Davis National Historic site. It's only about 20 miles from Marfa, and you'll also be in the dark sky area of Big Bend. So many, many reasons to go out there and check out the variety of resources Texas has to offer.
1: Yeah, lots of great national and state parks um, Mm -hmm. out in that that part of the the state. Um, Just, yeah, maybe not in the the dead of summer, but (laughs) it's it's pretty hot out there. um, so, So Dallas, Before we wrap up, how far through the process is the Blackwell School? Like, are we halfway there? Are you, you know, is there still like a lot of years, you know, to go in this process? Or or if you had to guess, I know it's not an exact science or anything.
2: You know, I do wish that I could control both the tides and Congress, but, you know, maybe, maybe in my next life. Um, So we have draft legislation and we are working with Congressman Hurd to have that introduced. Right now, um, Congress is going to be coming back from a break, and then they recess for all of the month of August. So our hope is that the new legislation can get introduced in September, and it would require a committee hearing in front of the House Natural Resources Committee. So it it has a bit of a congressional process. But we are confident that the um, resource study and inventory done through the Uh, National Register process is very complete and thorough and will meet the needs and really take some work off the National Park Service plate in order to move this along. Um, In my ideal world, I would love to have this Congress, you know, finish the year out with a bang and add a new site in Texas. But the reality is we've got to deal with um, the health pandemic and the economic um, crush in our country right now. And so that is rightly the priority. Um, But we do have one huge piece of historic legislation before Congress right now called the Great American Outdoors Act, and it funds $6.5 billion of the $12 billion in maintenance backlog and also permanently funds the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, So really decades of work of NPCA and um, hundreds of community partners to get this historic legislation passed. So if that's the best we can do for public lands, which would include Forest Service and Bureau of Tribal Lands as well, um, and, Forest, yes, and Forest Service, um, that would be really momentous. But I think Daniel and I, we're just going to keep um, working, as Alan says, 24-7. We're open every day. We're going to get this done, and it would be very fast track to get it done by the, this calendar year, but I think there's still a great possibility. Again, it fits in the climate Of the civil rights um, awareness that's going around globally. And so I think that could really elevate the opportunity um, that we have for congressional champions.
1: Yeah, and um, if you're listening and and you support this project, which I hope you do, um, you know, as as Dallas said, Th- there will be a need for reaching out to those congressmen and local officials, even that t- to show your support. I mean, you don't have to live in that community to see the value in this, um, especially since we're trying to elevate it to a national level. So, uh, definitely, you know, get involved with NPCA and and the school if if you are so inclined. And um, you know, the more voices in support of this, I think, will we'll go a long way with with our elected officials. So. Yeah. Um, And Dallas, can you share one more time how folks can find the NPCA online and social media?
2: Sure. You're going to go to NPCA.org. And we don't have the same handles on all three of our social media channels. So I'll just (laughs) direct you to the main website so that I don't steer you wrong. But that has all of our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And um, for everyone listening on our website you can share your park story so you can add your public lands connection on our website too and we we'd love to have it that's awesome
1: well um anything else you guys want to plug any resources maybe we didn't talk about just about parks in general or or you know the the blackwell school any books or anything like that i you
0: know I, I can recommend a documentary, actually, um, and it's on the the Blackwell School Alliance webpage as well, uh, called "Children of Giant." And um, so the giant, the movie "Giant" was filmed in Marfa uh, back. Uh, in the 50s and a lot of uh, children who attended school at the Blackwell School um, were also like extras in the movie for example and a lot of community members were extras in the movie Um, but it really talks about the historical significance of Mexican-American and race relations in uh, both in that time period and then how you know the movie giant um, kind of you know played on that as well in terms of West Texas and, and, you know, what it meant for people. Um, It's a wonderful film um, by Hector Galan. He was uh, very gracious to come out to Marfa and screen it there. And then we had a screening in El Paso as well. Um, And it just really, I think provides a a really good backdrop for folks who are maybe looking to um, dig a little bit deeper into kind of the, the history of, you know, that, era in our nation's, that time in our nation's history. Um, so would highly recommend, and, uh, and I think it's a great starting point for anybody looking to uh, dig into that uh, specific topic, especially how it relates to Marfa.
1: Yeah, what a great resource. Um, and, and I mentioned earlier, there's a Texas Monthly article, I think it came out in January, 2019, that, that kind of covers this school in depth and talks about some of the stories. So if you're interested in learning more Just, you know, Google that um, Blackwell School Texas Monthly and it'll come up. Um, They do a lot of very good features for, you know, Texas places. So um, on that note, um, we've kind of talked about where everyone can find, you know, more information online. Daniel, is there anything else you want to plug your company or anything where they can find you personally online or?
0: Sure. Anybody that's interested, uh, I'm online at fronterapr.com and, uh, you know, open to helping anybody who is looking at these kinds of projects or uh, any other kind of government or political communications consulting.
1: Awesome. And Dallas, anything
2: you'd add? I know you plugged in PCA, but. Well, we're going to be updating um, some documents for local communities that want to know more about how they can um, improve their lighting ordinances for dark skies specifically, um, because again, it plays into the economic vitality of cities, but Mm -hmm. it also, um, it's a cultural resource draw in improving wildlife and improving um, mental kind of acuity and clarity. So um, I know my colleague Chloe will be joining you later this summer to talk about this area and how people can get involved and support more dark skies in their areas. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys both for being on. Um, of course,
1: Sustainably Geeky is on all the uh, podcast channels. So if you don't already subscribe, please do that and give us a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or whatever the uh, whatever the uh, rating system is. Um, we uh, This is a bonus episode. We typically do one a month. So this is an extra one, and we're excited that we got to kind of build on our last show and give you guys an in-depth look at what um, – you know, the national park system does and, and how you can actually go through that process if you're so inclined. Um, you can find Sustainably Geeky on Facebook and Instagram, um, as well as the epicallygeeky.com slash sustainably-geeky. And um, I personally am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, so again, I want to thank you guys for uh, being on and sharing your knowledge with us. I'm really excited to see, you know, where this goes and um mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get some more national parks warriors out of this. Thanks for All having right. us. Yeah, thank you so everyone for listening. It.